Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. 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 Sorry about the uh, little technical glitch. I scheduled <laughs> the class in the wrong practitioner group. So, uh, <laughs> so here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, why don't we uh, pray in? Uh, I, I just, let me take a quick roll. So we should have Tom. Stephen and Kelly on the line? Yep. Uh, Tom's on yep. the line. Great. Stephen, why don't you pray us in? Okay, dope. Uh, let's close the eyes and take a big breath in and let a bigger breath out. Let's just offer up everything uh, from today that may have challenged or triggered any false beliefs that we may have pulled out of the old chatter there, any beliefs of of lack or any beliefs of not being enough of this or being too much of that. And let's offer those up onto the altar and let those beliefs be erased with the fact that we are in fact enough of everything and then some, that we are perfect as we are, that we are these holy creatures stepping into our light, stepping into our power, and opening up our hearts and our ears and our minds tonight to all the information that we will receive, and just taking comfort in the company that we're keeping tonight from all areas, East Coast and West Coast represented. And let's offer that love up into the world and be these beacons and tools of oneness, of delivering that message that we are all the same. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. So uh, let's check in with one another. Go down the line and uh, yeah, everyone's doing. Stephen, you are already unmuted, so why don't you share? Okay, um, I, I'm good. Um, it's been um, it's been a pretty chill uh, week uh, so far. Um, yeah, I think that it's it's been interesting. Like, um, I just am sometimes I still continue to get amazed when I don't react to certain um, things or situations the way that I used to. I keep coming back to the uh, the quotes that uh, Brian shared um, in Saturday's class of um, uh, of not being the person I used to be. But, uh, and it's, I don't know, sometimes it catches me a little bit by surprise still of where 
I'll be in a situation and be like, wow, like two years ago, I probably would have went batshit crazy on this person. And now I'm just like, you know, mentally like thanking them for this opportunity to learn something. And yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting when you don't get triggered in the way people expect how it immediately kind of deflects the situation. Like when people realize that you're not going to jump on this bandwagon, it's like they, they, they say, okay, well, I don't want to be on this by myself. So I'm going to dial down to, and let's actually just talk versus this, you know, pointing fingers, accusatory, I'm right, you're wrong kind of thing. So this stuff is working. Beautiful. Do you have any specific examples you could share that might better um, your point? I think, you know, just like at work of where um, I just always think back to, uh, you know, I, I think I originally heard it from you, and I think uh, you were quoting uh, Jacob of, of just, you know, showing up, doing what I said I would do on time and with a good attitude. And, um, and I, I, you know, I will occasionally have an employee that, um, you know, isn't getting what they want and they, rather than like coming, like and saying, Hey, I would really like this. It's like, this very much, you know, kind of give me this. And then what I don't kind of engage in that argument. And I said, well, let's, you know, let's sit down and talk and let me just show you why you're not getting this. And then it's, I don't know, it's just immediately diffused of where something that would have been, you know, office drama for, you know, three or four days is, like, snubbed out in, like, just a few minutes. Because it's like, I'm not trying to prove you wrong. I'm I'm just showing you numbers and facts versus this, like, well, you can't have it because you're being stupid. Or, you know, with, like, two years ago, I would have been like, no, you're a bitch. I'm not giving this to you. And now it's like, well, you're not really, you know, hitting this area. When we see that come up, then we can do this. And then it's like they, their thinking is, oh, okay, that's cool. I'm fine with that then. Versus it, become, versus it becoming this personal thing between us. Like I've got beef with Steven. Steven's got beef with her. It's just truth. That's beautiful, Stephen. Really great. I love that. I love that chair. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Kelly, you want to check in? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I'm, it's been an interesting week because I'm packing. And so there's that whole... Like, in my mind, I want to be further along than I am right now in terms of getting ready to move. Um, But I've had, simultaneously, I got an infection last week, and so I've been on antibiotics. And now the antibiotics have totally screwed up my entire digestive system. Um, So I'm not feeling well at all. But it's just been an interesting challenge. I was thinking about this. I'm like, it's kind of been been an ongoing life challenge for me. Um, to learn is how to try to balance like the, you know, the thoughts of like, oh my God, I've got stuff to do and I need to do this and I need to do that and da 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 with like, okay, girl, chill out and take care of yourself for a little bit. Um, so 
it's just proven to be a really interesting week, especially the last couple of days, because the medication was like I took every three days. And the first couple of days, I didn't feel great. And then, like, yesterday and today have been really um, physically very difficult for me. Um, so it's just, you know, it's one of those, like, I'm trying not to, and, and I kind of like, it just feels like this is such a life lesson for me, just being displayed differently of, you know, not letting my thoughts go crazy and not putting too much stress on myself. And also at the same time, trying to balance that with, you know, being a responsible adult and taking care of the stuff I need to take care of. But at the same time, trying to just not go overboard with the to-do list either. And so it's just, yeah, it's an interesting day. I'm like, you know, right now I'm just laying on my bed. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, I've got so much to do. And I'm like, no, I just need to I just need to sit and be on the call and rest for a couple of hours. I just ate, and that, like, really messed up my stomach again. So, um, yeah, that's <laughs> – it, it's been an interesting few days for sure. And, you know, and, and see, on then the, you know, get, getting time quiet is always good because I – getting time to work through things and but you know I don't know it's just it's just like a really interesting it almost feels like the experience in my head of you know the where I tend to be like over ambitious and then trying to rein that in is just totally being like demonstrated in my body right now of like I've got so much to do externally and physically I'm not feeling like I should be doing everything right now because I'm just not good physically. What would, uh, if you were counseling somebody on self-care, what are maybe three things you would invite them to keep in mind when developing a practice of self-care for someone who isn't familiar with it or someone who isn't good at it? What are three things that you've learned that have really helped you? Now, I could break it down to three, but I think the main one that kind of encompasses everything for me is balance, which for me that kind of encompasses everything else I would say, um, which is the, you know, recognizing that there are things you need to take care of, but also not going into story about it, um, not creating expectations that are not there or are unrealistic. Um, definitely on the flip side of that of, you know, also be willing to take responsibility for your thoughts about it, being willing to um, make sure you do take care of the things you need to take care of. Don't use like, oh, I'm being gentle with myself as an excuse, but be reasonable um, with that. And then know it's going to all work out. It's all going to work out in the end. Somehow it's all going to be taken care of. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good one. Really pulling from your past experience of knowing that usually it all just always works out. So you just take the next indicated step. Yeah. That's good, Kelly. Really clear. That's really nice. Thank you for sharing. Welcome. And uh, Tom, how about you? Oh, I've had a pretty good week. Uh, I did finally finish up all my my uh, 24 hours of uh, 
of uh, uh, continuing education for my life license. And uh, I pa- finally passed the test. I mean, I took one uh, test five times, and I still didn't pass, so I just took another course, a two-hour course on. So I passed that. And uh, uh, so now all I have to do is send in my money, and I'm, wait- I'm waiting for the state to send me back confirmation that they got the course uh, information and uh, so, uh, other than that, I'm doing okay. Congratulations, that's great. Mm, thank you. And I'm waiting, getting ready for my trip. I had also had to do the uh, the minutes over on my the um, uh, steering committee. I'm on uh, for one of my clubs that uh, I'm one of the secretary and I thought I did it yesterday and I thought it all went through but uh, apparently something there was a glitch on that and see last week I had upgraded my system to Windows 10 and somehow that that uh, it didn't take and I had to do it again this morning and so and that wasn't going through, so I had to copy and paste everything onto the body of the email and send that into everybody so that everybody would have that information. But for some reason, when, when I the the attachments, when I sent in the attachments, they just show the original form without my addition to it. So. Anyway, I'll figure out what's going on with that. All right. <laughs> uh, the computer, a constant teacher. Yeah, when when one thing doesn't work, you know, just try plan B and plan C. Yep. All right. And one thing yeah. is... Uh, Right. Not playing, not playing doctor with Kelly, but I've noticed, you know, when I have uh, uh, antibiotics, you know, they basically do a number on my stomach. Is uh, the doctors recommended yogurt for me? That's uh, crazy. So, Anything that'll help right now, I'm game for. So. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, the acidophilus is usually good for digestive stuff. Believe me, I know. <laughs> All right. So, let's um let's steer the conversation a little bit back into spiritual economics. Because we have this week and then um I have to double check, but I believe Jennifer is teaching next Saturday for us. So I mean there's no group on uh, next Wednesday. Uh and then we have one more class, and that's going to be spent uh, doing uh, a little review, and then we're going to do sort of what we did last quarter and do a test over the phone in which I'll read the answers, give everybody five minutes, and then you'll have an hour to complete them and send them to me. So let's talk about spiritual economics. Um, I have 
so enjoyed reviewing this book. I think there is so much good stuff in here, like stuff that I I had, uh, I feel like I've not forgotten about, but I just, uh, I'm so grateful for the reminder. Um, it's one of those books that are definitely highlighted, underlined, starred, you know, a lot of little notes in the, in the uh, margins and things like that. So uh, I'm going to invite everyone to pick up your book and uh, turn to chapter one. And um, I'd like to hear uh, what your thoughts are on Chapter 1. Go over your notes. Is there anything that stood out to you? Uh, Is there anything that you saw and um, that uh, really stuck with you? Anything that you've been applying? I'll go over what worked with me but I'm interested to hear what uh, came up with you guys first. Hey, Jesse. Um, I have a lot underlined in that and highlighted in that chapter. Um, But I think one of the things for me is on page, (coughs) excuse me, it's on page 21, uh, about halfway down the first paragraph. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry. Um, Uh, Before you attempt to raise money, the first step should be to raise consciousness, to know that the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And um, I don't know, for me, that's... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I want to read with you. uh, Before you attempt to raise money, the first first step should be to raise consciousness, to know that, quote, the place on which you... uh, 21, sorry. Page 21, okay. Sorry, I just want to get there. Um... Uh, and it's, uh, let me see. It's about halfway down. Okay, um, so before you attempt to raise money, the first step should be. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember if it's in this chapter or a following one, but it's, it's I think sometimes with money, I know that I have always done this of um, sort of praying for the quick fix, you know, the lottery ticket mentality. I think he calls it. Uh, at some point in this book. I can't remember if it's in this chapter or, or later. Um, and so I've gotten to the, a place of where when something kind of comes up, instead of like, please give me money, instead of saying, okay, please open me up to the flow. I open myself up to the flow. I am, you know, and, and it just, it, and as soon as my consciousness raises, a solution comes versus the like, this is the solution that I want. Instead, it's like, okay, fix this however it's going to be fixed. (laughs) The how's none of my business. Yeah. So uh, I love that that you chose that, um, let's see, uh, the steps to raise your consciousness. Um, So how does Eric Spotterworth define consciousness what is it your thoughts right it's yeah but he says it in a really beautiful way that you're right you're going the right direction thoughts are absolutely in that it's the some 
total of all your thoughts. Yes. So when he says raise your consciousness, what does he mean? Raise your thoughts. Yeah, you got to remove the what? How the how is this going to work? Yeah, remove the blocks. I mean that's all mm-hmm. that we're doing, guys, in everything that we do in our spiritual practice. It's just that. It's removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence. That's just it. I say it in every single prayer that I offer. Two or more that are coming together with a shared intention, our intention being to um to deepen uh you know, deepen our awareness of the presence of love. And so, you know, one of the qualities of love is abundance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, remembering our true nature, we remember that we are part of infinite good. Now, Stephen, would you read the last paragraph on this page? <laughs> it's funny that you said that because I have that entire paragraph highlighted. <clears throat> it, is a, <laughs> right. it, it is a profound... It is a Maybe that would go on the other arm. Um, it is a profound realization. But remember, these words do not become true because you affirm them. This is the common confusion about the practice of affirmative prayer, that if you speak the words of truth over and over, you impress them on the subconscious mind, and thus they become true for you. They do not become true because you affirm them. You affirm them because they are true. You are synchronizing your consciousness with the reality of truth, creating a channel through which the mystical flow may do its powerful work through you. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that so much. What is that uh what did that do for you in your life, Stephen? Um you know, I think I I kind of tied this into the um the money prayer thing that we started a couple of weeks ago, and I I told you that I'd started doing it when I would pay my bills every month, but um, I've been more conscious about doing it like even, you know, like buying coffee or buying gas or whatever. Um, and I, I had this weird thing of where, you know, I had like a, it wasn't a huge tax bill for last year, but it was a tax bill nonetheless. And for some reason I was kind of like, kind of running from it in some weird way of like, you know, like how am I going to do this? And then, like just the other night, it's like, okay, this is so stupid. This is just a, another bill that you pay every month like it is, like every other bill. And so I just like prayed and went online and made my little payment. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, that wasn't so, that wasn't so scary and bad. And, um, but the whole time as I'm like submitting the payment stuff, I'm like, you know, thank you, God, for my prosperity. May this money be used lovingly and joyfully. You know, where this money goes out, more money comes in. And, yeah, so that just kind of cleared that for me. And so it, it went from, like, how do I solve this problem of and, and going, instead of going into the place of, okay, I'm just flowing with this here. I'm just I'm paying this, this obligation, and I just go with the flow. This check goes out, another check comes in. Yeah, and even, you know, a way to hold it, too, with stuff like that is I'm fulfilling my commitment. Yeah. So I'm a man of my word, and I'm fulfilling my commitment. When you're paying right. for resistance to that, because 
you know, as soon as we go into, and listen, I'm just being very specific, but why not as we're in class, you know, when we go into words like obligation and things like that, that just has a little uh, element of judgment and resistance. Mm -hmm. So what if we were able to cut those cords and just really embrace this as part of your prayer, just a declaration of your, I'm a, you know, I'm a, uh, the word I'm looking for, uh, I don't know, <laughs> productive, maybe a productive citizen of this country, you know, mm. humble citizen of this country, and I am grateful for all the freedoms that being a citizen of this country brings me. And it's with a grateful heart that I support my government, you know. It's with a grateful heart that I fulfill my commitment as a productive member of society, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that, you know, because then it really makes it, like, again, like bringing in that sacredness to everything that we do. And this requires, you know, a real high level of mindfulness but why not play that kind of game? Mm-hmm. We have enough evidence now that shows us when we do incorporate that kind of stuff into our life, really wonderful things unfold. So Beautiful. Thank you, Stephen. Um, let's, uh, let's keep going. Um, chapter 2. Would anyone like to share anything from Chapter 2? Or unless you're just, just itching at the opportunity to share something from chapter one that you really wanted to, to talk about. But uh, is there anything in chapter two that really stood out? Anyone, the floor is open, and Stephen, you don't have to feel like you can't share because you've been talking. Whoever wants to talk. Yeah, see, I, I, just, I just need a minute to be able to flip through Chapter 2 and see what I underlined first. So. I think uh, for me on that one, uh, on page 40, um, I highlighted this down towards the bottom, about halfway to that last paragraph. The healing you long for, the overcoming you desire, the prosperity and success you have been praying for so persistently. Even though you may feel there are fantastic odds to overcome, these things do not call for miracles, but for disciplined application of divine law and the steady effort to know God. Yep. Yep. But for me, that's just those guards at the gate. Yep. At uh, the bottom paragraph uh, on page 36, as concern, however, as concerns prosperity for you, it is simply a matter of addition or subtraction. By your thinking, you are either adding to your good or you are taking away from it. The law mm. is inexorable. Failure or lack in your life is simply the result of continuously minusing yourself. Conversely, 
success and prosperity are the results of constantly plussing yourself. It is wise to take inventory occasionally. Are you dealing in minuses or pluses? It is that simple. Your negative thoughts of fear and worry are depleting your good faster than inflation erodes the value of the dollar. And your positive, optimistic thoughts add to your good more dramatically than compound interest increases your bank savings. That is so great. So simple, so clear. Our thoughts create our experience in money and health and relationships across the board. So what kind of day are you going to have? You decide. Was that page? <clears throat> sorry, was that page thirty-four, Jess, or was that different? Like I didn't hear that's you. Page where you were that's, page, that's page thirty-six. Oh, okay. I was just la- I was like, I didn't hear what page you said. I was like, that was almost the exact same thing I had marked on page thirty-four. I was like, wait, did he just quote my quote? <laughs> which is um, which is you know, you're a living magnet, constantly drawing to you the things, the people, and the circumstances which are in co- in accord with your thoughts. In other words, you are where you are in experience, in relationships, even in financial conditions because of what you are, which is where you are in consciousness. Yep, just you want to know where your consciousness, what level your consciousness is, just look at your life, right? So this, this chapter is titled, Your Fortune Begins With You. What do you think he means by that, Kelly? What was that? Sorry, you cut out. The chapter is entitled, Your Fortune Begins With You. What do you think he means by that? Well, I think, especially with that quote, I mean, it's, I mean, it begins with you because it's, 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 everything's a reflection of your thoughts. Everything's a reflection of where you are in your journey. So it's, you know, if, if you're going to, and he says your fortune, but I think in the chapter he expands fortune beyond just money. You know, your relationships, your finances, your experiences all come back to, you know, what are you creating through where you're at as a person? You know, if you're if you're thinking doom and gloom and everybody hates you, then, you know, you're not going to have a whole lot of friends. If you're thinking, you know, if, if you're in the consciousness of being poor, that's going to be your experience. And so it all comes back to... Um, I didn't even expand on that, but begin. I don't say I don't like the word begins. But to me, it's like your fortune is, you know, a reflection of you. It's not that it just begins with you. Your whole existence, you know, it's it's that what, what I'm living, what I'm experiencing, is because of me and my thoughts. It's not. There's no option to go into that victimhood. I can't be like, oh, this is horrible because of this or that. It has to start with what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and what I'm being. Why don't you read the second paragraph on page 39? Start with the important truth? Yep. The important truth is that you are a spiritual being with the allness of infinite, infinite mind within you. Whatever your needs may be, the answer is not to get God to give you more through some divine sleight of hand process, 
but rather to uncover and release your own imprisoned splendor. Avoid the temptation to try to work the law and thus to materialize the process. Get your mind off the idea of making a demonstration in life. Center your awareness on a deeper sense of life and the demonstration will begin to make you. Yeah, so it's, again, this is dealing with consciousness. It's dealing with our thinking. It's saying, you know, your fortune begins with you because it begins, yeah, it starts with you taking responsibility for your life. And yeah. until we are willing to do that or understand that the law is impersonal, that it's going to work for you whether or not you understand it or not, that your thinking is creative, period, um, then you can begin the process of healing, of releasing the outmoded thoughts, ideas, beliefs, and habits that no longer serve your intention, which is to live in alignment with God, which is to live an abundant life, because that's what God is, is abundant. Um, and uh, But it's not about um, accessing something outside of yourself. It's just about revealing your true nature by learning how to control your thinking. And it's like, it's, math, it's, it's, it's mathematics. It's an equation. It's not, you know, uh, woo-woo-wah-wah stuff. It's, it's simple. I mean, it's, this is where it, it's an equation. Your thoughts create your experience. Period. What is, uh, this is a good one. Okay, uh, Kelly, since you keep, since you're sort of, oh my God, it's so good. Um, I'm going to have everybody do some reading. So we're going to go paragraph by paragraph, starting with Kelly. So will go Kelly, Tom, and then Stephen, and you'll, uh, uh, keep repeating, you know, keep repeating until we're done. We're going to start on page 41 second paragraph from 41, which says, what are the most self-limiting attitudes? So Kelly, uh, Tom, and Stephen, and we're going to go to, uh, we'll end, uh, with the first sentence of the last paragraph on page 43. So we'll read through 42, and then we'll stop at the last sentence on the first paragraph, 43. Uh, so Kelly, go ahead and begin. One of the most self-limiting attitudes of the whole human race is the belief in chance or luck. Occasionally, it is said, I have been lucky. My prayer was answered. However, God doesn't deal in luck. As Emerson says, the dice of God are always loaded. The belief in luck crowds out real faith and lulls all true initiative to sleep. And yet so many people think that prosperity and success are simply the result of good luck and that financial reverses, unemployment, even illnesses are misfortunes or bad luck. It is the most flourishing excuse for all human difficulties. It soothes the conscience and presents the person as an innocent victim of an unknown, sinister force. We say in an almost pious declaration of self-defense, I couldn't do much about it. I was just unlucky. 
it is often in this consciousness a spiritual immaturity that a person may turn to the wheel of fortune as a way to strike it rich. A person may have an urgent financial need and think, I will make my demonstration by picking the winning number in the lottery. Traditional religion has often muddled the issue by preaching on the sin of gambling. There is nothing immoral about the games of chance. If, uh, if one has the means and wants to be entertained by picking horses or playing roulette, then let that person enjoy himself or herself in clear conscience. However, it may become a source of spiritual limitation if the gambler is not spending available funds in entertainment, but uh, desperately trying to make his or her fortune. Um, we'll let for an orderly universe, there is simply no way in which one can get something for nothing. Under divine law, you receive as you have been, have given, no more, no less. If you feel you have been down on your luck, don't succumb to the temptation to try to make it big in some game of chance. Your fortune begins with you, not with the roll of the dice or with the winning numbers, or with any kind of lucky break. There is only one way in which you can change your life, and that is by altering your your thoughts. How inadvertently and yet surely we, surely we corrupt the, the ideas of children when by precept and by example we teach them that life is to be found and experienced out there in the world. Thus, when they arrive at the age of responsibility, they are urged to go out into the world to make their fortune. Okay. They are progressively introduced to the idea of the breaks, of expecting success to come in one of the strokes of good fortune. And they said a veritable Mind, uh, minefield of traps for themselves so that the career frustrations, the layoffs, or the investment failures are all the, uh, are all the results of bad breaks. How blessed are the children who learn early in life are taught that their fortune begins with them. They will grow into spiritual, spiritually mature adults who are confident that they have the potential in themselves to step into operation the fundamental process which will cause all things to in the world to work for their good. They will know that their fortune is not something to find but to unfold. Go ahead, Stephen. Sophisticated religious beliefs, to the contrary notwithstanding, the average person's living philosophy centers at a point somewhere between the belief in kismet, the the (laughs) inevitability of fate and destiny, and the luck of the draw, with a subtle effort to change that luck in every conceivable way. A farmer may install a horseshoe over the barn door, 
One may carry a special charm or amulet in one's pocket. Religious people are among the most superstitious, though they justify the practices as being a part of their religious teaching. Call them what you will, all the little charms, medallions, and figurines that people wear or carry or hang on their doorpost or dashboards are done essentially for good luck. They constitute an attempt to alter what Voltaire calls the, oh my, constitution of events. However, life is not a game of chance. Your fortune is not influenced by caprice. It is determined by the shape of your consciousness. In Julius Caesar, Shakespeare puts into the mouth of Cassius the meaningful statement, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are underlings. It, it is always sad to hear someone insist that some ironic twist of fate has ruined his or her life. One man, one man was... Oh, that's it? Yeah. So, let's talk about luck. The floor is yours. Well... There's, I mean, there's no such thing. I think it's just, I think it's kind of almost become a buzzword. Like, people just use it as a default, I think. What's really going on? Pardon? What's really going on? Um, It's the, it's positive effect. So explain cause and effect to me a little bit. It's um, your outer world reflecting your inner world. Yeah, especially I think the um, um, was a couple of pages back of you know, people love to especially claim bad luck for things, and because it's easier to do that than than to accept the the fact that. Um, where you are as a result of your of your consciousness, as a result of your thinking. It's easier to give that the power of, of something, quote, bad that happened over to just chance or um, luck versus like, oh, well, my car broke down because I never changed the oil in it. Yeah, so we give our power away when we energize the belief in luck. Luck doesn't exist because our life is an outpicturing of our inner world. So it's our thinking. Our thoughts create our experiences. Period. That's the law. And yet, it's so much easier to try to, you know, thwart responsibility onto some unknown force, let's see force, because we don't want to admit or believe that it's us that's creating all this upset in our life, but it's the only thing that can be true. Let's go to uh, the law of visualization. So I'll give you a, a few seconds to uh, look over your notes. See what stands out to you? 
have one that's right here on the page 49. This, and that's not what we're talking about now. Is we have lived, we have been conditioned to believe that life is lived from outside in. We see things out there, and we re we react with attitudes and feelings about them. Without question, what we see is as it is. Saying is believing. This is what may this may give rise to the defeatist comments such as, "What are you going to do? It's just the way things are." And I don't know where I was reading this or what I was doing, uh, but uh, and it comes to mind, you know, as Jesus said, you know, that uh, don't think that I have come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so many people generally think that he was talking about the law of Moses of the Old Testament. But that's not, what came to me is, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about that universal law. And that law, you know, is that, uh, uh, as it says here, you know, we believe that is the life is out there. But yet, it's still our consciousness that is working the law, and as we believe, it is done unto us. So as we continue to believe out there, then we're not taking responsibility for what's in here, and we're trying to throw that responsibility out to somebody else or to some other condition or whatever, you know, thoughts like I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, and blah, blah, blah. And yet, it, that's out there. Those are the out there things, you know. But that's not that's not what the the laws of teachings of Jesus real. Excuse me. The laws of, te- of Jesus were really teaching. He was talking about the inner law. Yep. Great talk. Yes, I had two sections that kind of jumped out at me on this chapter just because they kind of go together, Um, which is on 51. There's a sentence I'm going to kind of break up. It says, worry is based on the belief that some undesirable condition already exists. Um, And it says, worry is vividly picture in mind the undesirable condition they're worrying about. And then, like, and then it goes on, like, 57, it says, you know, there's no philosophy in the world, certainly no metaphysical teaching that can lead one to personal prosperity or success who is forever looking out the wrong window and indulging one's emotions in feelings of negativity and gloom. I was thinking, cause I, and I think I've gotten a lot better than what I used to be, um, but I tend to, like, overthink stuff, you know? And so it's like, I know, like, especially, like, with my job when I was a federal agent, and we were basically trained 
when we were going to go do like a search warrant or something, we would, you know, we were like, okay, we're going to go do a search warrant on a house. And we would literally come up with every conceivable bad thing that could happen and plan for it. (laughs) And there was like rarely conversation of like, oh, this is going to be a great warrant. We'll do really good. It was always this like, we're going to focus on every negative thing there could be. And we're going to go in with the expectation that things are going to go wrong and I think, you know, that for me, I think it almost like fit my personality because that's what I've always, I think that's how I've kind of functioned a lot of my life of like, you know, if something happens, I kind of go to like the 20, well, if this happened, then there's 20 what ifs might follow and I've got to worry about all of them. And I think I've gotten a lot better in a lot of areas on that of releasing it and realizing like, you know, um, but so much of the time, like, I've seen where if I focus on the, on the, you know, if I focus on the worrying, consciously or unconsciously, I end up doing stuff that creates that very experience, you know. And I think I've gotten better on it, but I definitely still have areas to grow, um, which I think is why it jumped out at me so much, because it was like, you know, I'm, I'm always, I've always, like, I don't say, like, I'll wor- I, I wouldn't say, like, oh, I'm worrying. I'd be like, oh, I'm considering all the things that might happen. And I make it sound like all pretty, but it's like when it's, you know, like worry is based on the belief that some undesirable condition already exists. And then you're going to create that. That just kind of hit home for me because I think that's, I mean, it's like I said, I think it's an area I've improved on, but it's still something I can slide into really, really easily. And so it was kind of a good wake-up call to see that and be like, oh, I need to stop, you know, being focused on the what-ifs. I mean, it's like right now, it's, you know, it's moving. There's a lot of details. And so I've been like, well, what do I do if a bear comes outside my apartment? And what do I do if, what do I do if I lock my keys in? And, you know, and I'm like, oh, I guess, you know. So it was kind of nice on the review to kind of see that because I was like, oh, yeah, okay, stop thinking that a bear is going to come moseying by every day and attack you know, the trash can or something. And, um, you know, if I can focus on the positive of everything that's going to go right, I'm not going to be, you know, creating the stuff I'm focusing on of being it negative. I think that was Kelly, really nice to see. explain to us the difference between a nest egg and an emergency fund. A nest egg, I would say, is... Um, setting aside with the expectancy of utilizing that for a fun um, future, of, of, of planning for a future that I'm going to enjoy, whereas the emergency fund is a, I'm planning for the shit to hit the fan. <laughs> and I'm worrying about it. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up something I would want now because I've got this fear that something's going to happen later that I don't want to have happen. Whereas nest egg is going to be, you know, I'm, I'm creating something for a joyful experience later. So keeping in alignment with the law of visualization, if you have an emergency fund, what do you suspect, mm-hmm. what do you think will probably unfold in your life? Needs to use it. Yeah, an emergency. Yeah. (laughs) So if you were advising somebody on their finances and you were guiding them towards 
you know, a savings, a round of savings, how would you hold it? What sort of energy would you hold it? And what would you call their savings? Um, I mean, I don't know if I'd have a special word for it, but I think it's creating, creating a reserve so that you can do the things you want to with it, so that you can enjoy um, activities and, um, I don't want to say things, but the, so that you can create the experiences that you want to have in your life. It's really enjoy things. <laughs> huh? It's okay to enjoy things, but yeah. Yeah, well, nesting. I, I just try to think of a way to phrase that. Yeah. It's just a nesting. <laughs> it's something fun for you. You put money aside for to you know support you in uh, you know doing what you'd like to do. And it's a complete energy shift with that, with those two things, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's, there's a lot of freedom because you are prepared uh, to be able to easily move through anything, you know. Yeah. So visualizing, I mean, it's so interesting. Like, we're not designed to visualize the best-case scenario in fully. We're, we're taught to, you know, buy, you know, look for everything that could go wrong. Okay. Chapter four. Well, does anyone else have anything about the law of visualization or does anyone have any anything they'd like to share about their experience with visualization? Try, um, Tom, why don't you read the second paragraph on page 54? Page 54, the second paragraph. Actually, why don't you read the first, why don't you read the two paragraphs, 54 and uh, this middle one on 54 and the one after that, and it leads on to the second page. The two paragraphs total. Okay, so you want me to read from... Okay, the second paragraph, meaning the, that this isn't what we are referring to, or are you wanting the first paragraph? Is, now let's uh, be clear. Now let's be clear. Start with now let's be clear and read through that second paragraph. Okay. Now let's be clear on what we mean by visualization. We do not suggest that you sit around imagining bags of gold. There's a widespread practice of what is called treasure mapping where one naively cuts out pictures from magazines that suggest the image of affluence and success and paste them on a carefully designed poster to be displayed where it will regularly impress itself on one's subconscious mind in a patently gross materialization of a beautiful spiritual law one is deceptively misled into the worship of mammon. It is like removing the lenses from your glasses and replacing them with gold coins. You may feel rich saying only gold, but you will see precious little else. This isn't what we are referring to. We are not talking about saying things, cars, houses, jobs, jewels, and so on, so forth, but rather from saying from a consciousness of ever-present substance, which will become the magnetic force that draws the things to you, but 
without any of them ever becoming the objects of your life. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not little God out there, for now man has seen has seen God at any time. You may you see God as you see rosy hues when you look through rose-colored glasses. You see, you see from God consciousness. You see, you project that consciousness. So when you so when you are centered in oneness with God's substance, you see through the substance colored glasses. In a very real sense, to see abundance everywhere is to turn on the lights, which enables you to see allness even within illness and all sufficiency even in lack. Yes. So we talk a lot about, you know, allowing, using visualization as a tool that supports us in raising our feeling tones so that we can become a vibrational match for those feelings. And so often, you know, uh, we project the spiritual qualities that are, you know, ready to express through our lives onto stuff. So we think that happiness will come from relationship, like a romantic relationship or success will come from a specific job title or freedom will come from a specific paycheck amount uh, or something to that extent. And so we, um, uh, but, we, but we can, you know, visualize, use vision boards, things like that to support us in lifting our feeling tones so then we can become a vibrational match for that which will support us in expressing that. But it's not about, you know, the, the stuff, the worship of the stuff. The stuff is not going to do anything for us. Never has, never will. But that doesn't mean we can't support ourselves in uh, shifting our, you know, using tools to support us in leaning into the qualities that we're really interested in experiencing. Any last thoughts on visualization? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Just for uh, for one, you know, it's the visualization, like putting it on a board and all that stuff. To me, that's just like a tool. Like you use a, a tool to hammer the nail into the wall or the boards, you know, but it's just that. It's just a tool. You don't worship the hammer. You don't uh, put your mind, you know, that that this is uh, something, you know, that the end all, the be all, whatever the expression is. But, you know, it's just basically using it as a tool. That's, that's, no more, no less. Yep. Yep, 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 All right, everyone, five-minute break. Be back here at 739. Your phone's on mute. Don't hang up.
Okay, we are back. Chapter four, if you can believe. Anything that stood out to anyone? I underlined a couple of things, uh, a couple of lines on page 70 um, about faith. Uh, the ideal is not believing in, but believing from. And then a little further down. Hold on, wait, faith, wait, wait. Okay. So what does that mean to you? Because um, you're not believing in like an abstract notion. Um, but you're believing in, you're not, well, you're not even believing. You're just tuned into a conscious, you're a consciousness. You're, it's just, you're of it, it's of you. Well, there's, uh, there's definitely a belief that's important. Like Curtis Holmes writes a lot, you know, it'll happen to you based on the level of your belief. But what is the belief? It's the belief in law. Mm-hmm. I think that it's this idea of believing in something outside of yourself. You know, it's that Santa Claus, God uh, archetype fantasy mm. that we have. So it's the man of guy. Exactly. So it's about taking away, uh, you know, taking our power back and recognizing that we are, you know, that every aspect of us is God. That we are all of us is God. All Part of us is God. Uh, God is the transcendent whole of things of which you are an individualized part. So you are an individualized part of God. The qualities of God are present in you. The infinite supply and source that is God is you. The more that you believe that, the more your thoughts are going to be aligned with that, and the more you're going to create that from that space of belief. But not the belief in something coming to save you. Right. Beautiful. What was the other thing that stuck you? Uh, well, all of page seventy-nine. Well, all of page seventy-nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to see if I underlined anything because I just kind of stopped highlighting and just like dog-eared dog. Oh page. yeah, seventy-nine was great. I remember. Um, I love the, towards the bottom, uh, it's in the last uh, paragraph. Um, Read read, read all of 79, read read page 79. Okay. The exciting message of truth is you can have all you desire. It is a concept that raises a lot of false expectations and gives rise to many objections. You may say, I certainly have desired many things that have not been realized, but we have not really listened to our desires because our consciousness is too often centered in sense appetites and covetous urges. A true desire is not to have, but to be. We are whole creatures in potential, and the true purpose of desire is to unfold that wholeness to become what we can be. As, um, what is Who's that? Go? Goth? Gote. I don't know. Desire is the presentiment of our inner abilities and the forerunner of our ultimate accomplishments. 
Unfortunately, some New Thought teachings of prosperity have been centered not in wholeness and spiritual well-being, but in the crassest kind of materiality. The all-things-are-possible promise is met with the covetous gleam of dollar signs in the eyes. Techniques are offered by which to treat work with work the principles for a high-powered job, the luxurious country home, the expensive foreign car. Just treat for it and you will get it. One woman recently said, God wants me to wear sable. After all, I'm the child of a king. It is a common materialistic rationalization. The fact is, God does not want you to wear sable. God wants you to be stable. The impetuous thing-oriented desire for sable may come from a sense of personal inadequacy, a lack of spiritual stability. The creative process seeks to express in you as a stable, well-balanced, prosperous person. But prosperity, you see, is spiritual well-being. What do y'all think about that? Well, for me, it's the idea of letting go of that notion of I'll be happy when this is paid off or I have this car or I live in this place. Um, And instead just saying, I'm just going to be happy. Like it's, it's not dependent on, you know, what's on my feet. I just love the phrase, a true desire is not to have, but to be. Yes. I love that. What does that, what does that mean to you? And, you know, uh, Kelly, Tom, you can feel free to share as well. But go ahead. Um, it is not to have a bank account of X number of dollars, but to feel prosperous and abundant in all things. In love and stability and happiness and enjoyment, etc. I like the vision board mentality. Like I, I was that guy that had the vision board with all the little you know things on it, and then I just like took it down because it was like I, I, I want to know God. I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. Ergo, I will be prosperous. Yes, beautiful, Stephen. Kelly, Tom, any thoughts? Yeah, so that was like the one sentence. I'm kind of laying down right now because my stomach's cramping. Um, And that was the one sentence I actually sat up and underlined real quickly. Um, It was interesting. To me, when it says, you know, but to be, for me that connected with the, um, the idea of like, you know, that the, the like the I am presence and knowing that we're one with that and that is you know our true nature is the, the I am presence and for me I for me I don't know why the word to, you know the phrase to be kind of just brought that up to me of you know exactly what Stephen was saying it's not a matter of you know and especially at the end of the page it's not like oh I'm gonna be happy because I have this job or oh I'm gonna be happy because I have you know. A, a bedroom in my apartment, you know, which has been a big thing for me last year. Like, I want a bedroom. Um, but the true desire of my heart is I want to know that I'm one with God. I want to know that I am loved, you know, and to go into that space is where, you know, the happiness and the joy and the peace come from. 
not from putting it on the external because it's like, you know, you get the, you know, it's like I got the job I thought I wanted and then it went away. I, you know, you get a one-bedroom apartment and, or you know, the apartment you think is going to be great and then it has roaches. And it's so, you know, when you put, when, when I've put like my happiness or my, my joy and my peace on external, you know, that, that's, it's so temporal and it just never lasts. And yeah, I really love that thought of, you know, the true desire is to be, to, to really know who I am and to live in that space of I am love and to be able to um, just live in the peace and joy of that. Anyone else? Yeah, for me on page 77 where it says, the faith required to demonstrate prosperity is not simply a pious pronouncement. Faith is expectancy. You do not receive what you want. You do not receive what you pray for, not even what you say you have faith in. You will always receive what you actually expect. Sometimes after people have experienced modest outworkings as a result of their prayer efforts, they may say, well, it's about what I expected. They may only try be trying to cover their wounded egos, but they are telling much about their faith. And to, to me, it's what, uh, as I've related before in past classes, one, uh, one of my... Um, ministers back here uh, in Beverly Hills, she said to me, you know, it's not what you want, it's what you expect. And she said it, you know, and it made me realize, okay, I may be wanting this, but I'm expecting something else. And it goes back to, like, when we discussed on worry and stuff, and worry is basically what might happen you know and it's it could, it's probably uh, a very useless uh, thing that we do because we can't change we can only change the future by changing our consciousness and what we don't want uh, we usually think about so we could change it to okay, this is what I want, so, and start expecting it. Like the, my a former minister, Reverend Jean, had always said that you get what you expect. Yes. And it's so, I find it to be really powerful to when you talk about what to expect, not necessarily specific as far as material stuff goes. It's okay to have preferences and know what you like, know what you prefer, but to have get really specific again, going back to the feeling tones of it. I expect to feel everything to feel peaceful and uh, for it to flow easily and for it to be, uh, for, I expect to really enjoy it. 
And then, you know, so often we don't know what we want. We don't really know what we want. We think we know what we want. Sometimes we just want what other people have. But we don't even know like that. It's like when Jacob kind of talks about uh, when he filled in for Marianne Williamson. Uh, he had assumed that she was making like thousands and thousands of dollars after her speeches, you know, her Monday night lectures. And so when they decided to stop paying him this X amount of dollars and say, you know, we're going to just pay you the profit, whatever we make after everything, you know, paid for, he was like, all right, cool, payday. And then he was like, I got paid less than what they were giving me my base salary. He's like, gosh, you know, we just, he goes, I was going to, like, see her talk. And I knew that it was a $15 suggested donation, so I drew the math in my head, and now I realized that everybody's paying $15. You know, people are putting $5 in, $2, $1. And uh, you know, they have to pay rent, they have to do all this stuff, but it's like, wow, it's really with the rest of it. You think you know what you want, you think you know you want exactly what someone else has, but you don't know the whole story. So the whole story. Holly Berry, Jacob uses Holly Berry a lot because she's had just such very public, like, uh, messy, romantic relationships. But, you know, she was just thought of as being one of the most gorgeous women that ever graced the planet. So many people, like, you know, wanted to look like her, have that, have her body and her look, like that beauty and that career and success and money. But she's had, you know, uh, she's been arrested for. Uh, beating up her partner, her boyfriend, you know. There's been lots of drama and all this stuff, so we think we know. We think we know what we want. And we often base it off of the model of what somebody else has. But we don't know until, you know, that's why getting really clear on how you like it to feel is so valuable, so important. Because then the things that will be in alignment with those feeling tones will, you know, build itself around you. Any other thoughts? All right, let's move on. Chapter 5, The Grateful Heart. So, we have something to talk about. Let's talk about gratitude. <laughs> on page 88, it says on the first paragraph, uh, it says, Paul gave some advice that has been puzzling to many persons. He said, in effect, in all things give thanks. Does all things, is this practical or even possible? But then down on the second paragraph, it says, let's look again at that puzzling statement of Paul's. Note that he does not say, for all things do things. In the old-time religion, if you have 
pants with patches, you should thank God for the pants, patches, and all. Poverty was a grace, we were told. Be grateful for your little. Today, for you will have an abundance by and by. In other words, you will have a great reward in heaven for being patient in your poverty today. But in the third paragraph, it says, what Paul does say is, in all things give thanks. In other words, despite the problems of lack, or even because of them, the need to, is to get yourself re-centered and the awareness of the ever-presence of substance. And the most effective way to accomplish this is by thanksgiving. So to me, this means basically, you know, create because you're thankful. Well, create because you're happy. And do it because, you know, be thankful just because because you are a thankful a thankful person. You are a grateful person. And coming from that centeredness of being grateful it is it is this that is the outflow is greater good. You know, it's like in my life I remember many years ago my aunt great aunt she would always uh, give us little stuff, you know, when we uh, were, when we came over to my grandmother's house, but, uh, <coughs> excuse me, she would always say, well, I'm not made of money, you know, when you press her for something else, but she was always pretty grateful person, you know, and she told us to, you know, be grateful for what you get, she said, because that is who you are. So it, it stuck with me throughout my life. So why are we grateful in all things? <laughs> if you're grateful in, if, you, if you're in all things, be grateful. That means you're coming from that attitude of gratitude. Yes, but why are we grateful for all things? We've talked about this from the very uh, from the very beginning. Because uh, this is we real. know what do, what do we know? What can we what can we know for sure? No matter what is happening, what's happening. Okay, you're basically accepting what is. You're not arguing like uh, Byron Katie says. Don't argue with what is, you know. And if yes. you're if you're arguing, you're coming, you're you're doing that. Your consciousness, and that level of consciousness, is if you're grateful for all things or in all things, being grateful. That is your your awareness. And. What is the belief that can support us to be grateful in all things, no matter what? Mm-hmm. That you have everything already. 
What's always unfolding? That the truth is always unfolding. It's like Jesus said that uh, he always gave thanks first before he did any of his miracles because that was what the knowing that he already had all things, that he was one with God. Anyone else? It's all for our good. Yes, we're grateful in all things because we know that our greatest good is always unfolding. Yes. No matter what the challenge may be, no matter what it appears to be, we know that our greatest good is always unfolding, and that we're grateful for that. Okay, what else here about gratitude? I love the uh, saying about the donkey uh, carrying the sandalwood. I was just reading that. It's such a great... Read it out loud for us. There's an old saying that a donkey may carry a heavy load of precious sandalwood on its back and never know its preciousness, only its weight. You may go through life feeling only the weight of circumstances, never able to appreciate the precious nature of life. So what does that mean to you? Translate that for us. Um, I think you know that sometimes we get so caught up in the end results that we don't relish the stuff that gets us there. Yeah, or like when things are not going the way we want them to go, we get overwhelmed or upset or whatever. And like the sandalwood, like if we trust that our greatest good is always unfolding. Our greatest mm-hmm. good is always unfolding. Our greatest good is always unfolding. Then uh, we can trust that, well, I don't know why or how, but I can trust that it is my greatest good that's unfolding here. So I can be grateful in this, even though mm-hmm. it feels like something I'm not, I, it feels like something that's overwhelming or not fun or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, it would be like, you know, uh, you get so obsessed with a, well, how am I going to pay for this bill that you neglect the fact that you still have a bed to sleep in, that you still have food to eat, that you can still walk everywhere. You just, you get caught up in the, I don't have this, that you're, that you're not grateful for everything else, that you're only oh, focused yeah. on that one you thing. Can, you can just trust that your greatest good is unfolding. You just trust mm-hmm. that it's unfolding, and you know the the donkey with the the precious sandal was saying on its back is saying, like, we don't know what it's for. You know, we don't know what it's for, but we can trust that it's for greatest good. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it's for. Anything else? Anything else on gratitude? Does anyone have a story about how gratitude changed an experience for themselves?
All right. Well, let us continue. Work and the Success Syndrome. Good chapter. So let's talk about this. Work and the Success Syndrome. Um, Stephen, why don't you read the last paragraph on page 100 out loud? Okay, let's see. On 100? Yep. Uh, The delusive idea? Yep. Okay. The delusive idea that men merely toil and work for the sake of preserving their bodies and procuring for themselves bread, houses, and clothes is degrading and not to be encouraged. The true origin of man's activity and creativeness lies in his increasing impulse to embody outside of himself the divine and spiritual element within him. God by nature is creative. And this, I think last week was really insightful with this, this as well, with the law of giving. But we are here to we're here to express that's what we're here to do what is the uh, Kelly what is the success syndrome Okay. Um, maybe Kelly's not with us. Uh, Stephen uh, and Tom, well, how how would you describe the success syndrome? Sorry, you kind of broke up there a little bit at the end there, Jesse. I said, how would you describe the success syndrome? What is it? Oh. Um... It's the status materialistic aspect. I, love, I have one line that I underlined. I was trying to find it. Success is not getting there. It is earning the right and consciousness to be there. Uh-huh. What does that mean to you? Um, that it's the... That it's the opening up up to the the divinity in the job, not just the the 
the paycheck in the job or the um, the title that comes with the job, but it's the it's the finding the joy and the creativeness in the in the work, and not just the you know however many numbers are on your check. It's distinguishing the difference between the having more or getting more and being more. I think the being more is that is that aspect of um, I pick the word I want to use here is the, the the being in joy and being there, the working with joy, the um, not the just kind of phoning it in, but the actual like using that as one more expression of love in the world, as one more expression of, of oneness with God. whether you're, you know, feeding hungry kids or whether you're processing insurance claims. Like, there's no difference between those. They're, they're both expressions of, of love. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Yes, I'm back. Sorry, I had to step away for a second. Yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing. Of just for me, the success syndrome is like defining it by the external. Of you know, I think it's exactly what Stephen said. Of you know, well, I'm a success if I have you know this title or whatever. Versus the success is you know how do you do your job? How do you show up as a you know how do you show up in your life? How do you show up at your work? How do you you know, what's your attitude and what's your thinking? And I think that's, you know, it's so easy. I won't say it's easy, but it's so typical that we, you know, people don't go, oh, you know, well, she's a success because she's a really good, you know, secretary or versus somebody goes, oh, they're really a success because they're a CEO. And I know, um, you know, like in a lot of my jobs, there's like all these titles and I mean, it was a joke with, with my federal job. I was like, well, do you have the extra S? Which the extra S was you were in management. And yet, you know, if I looked at, you know, myself or I looked at other people around, you know, it, it's the success isn't, you know, what title's on the door. If you're not living in, in integrity, if you're not living happily and you're doing the job, you know, half-heartedly, that's not being a, you know, a, a successful being. You're, that's, you know, that's not living up to, you know, your, your, you know, that's not living up to the fact that we are, you know, creative expressions of God, you know, that we're just denying that and, you know, I don't want to say wasting our time, but we're definitely not necessarily on the fast track to enlightenment when we're, you know, living in, a space of, um, you know, not 
not wanting to come from a loving space or not wanting to do our best or not wanting to um, show up and be creative beings. So... Yeah, it really is a, uh, it's, it goes back to that saying that, that what Jennifer said that one time that really stuck with me, which is the only success we need to concern ourselves with is our spiritual evolution, you know, our spiritual unfoldment. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be present in the world and do what we're here to do and contribute our gifts and talents and follow our inspired ideas and show up in positions of leadership and areas of commerce and things of that nature, because that might be where we are most needed and we can really contribute a lot and our gifted talents will support us in that space. But it's the success syndrome. It says get more, get more, get more, get more, have to get more, have to get more, do anything, prioritize that. It's the most important thing. Get to stuff, get to stuff, get to stuff. And we end up, you know, uh, showing up and trying to do as little as we can and get more out of it. Because then it's about getting the stuff and it's not about being present and being and doing the task at hand. So it's not about getting, it's about being. Who are you being? How are you showing up? What are you doing? What are you attracting as a result of your beingness? These are the questions we should ask ourselves. And those are the that's the essence that's going to create real abundance in your life. Now this next one, how do Face, how to reverse financial adversity. I remember when we were reading it, Kelly, you said a lot of it stuck out to you. What is, uh, do you remember what it was? I don't remember what it was, but if you give me a minute, I might. <laughs> or you can prompt me and remind me. <laughs> I don't remember specifically what you were sharing either. <laughs> You know, we have we have 15 minutes uh, left in class, and uh, so obviously we're not going to be able to review the entire book. Uh, I, I wanted to do that. Uh, but what about, let's just talk about our takeaways, because, uh, you know, overcoming financial adversity is about changing your attitude. It's about changing your attitude and changing your perspective. You know, everything in here is about changing your attitude and perspective. Um, the Money Enigma is a great chapter that talks about changing how you hold money in your mind. You'd have to hold money in your hand. And, you know, uh, it's saying, you know, look at money, look on the green side of money where it says God we trust, not on the black side where it is a symbol of limitation. So why don't we just share some of the ways that your attitude or thoughts about money has changed in studying this material, or maybe your attitudes and thoughts about work have changed in studying this material. It goes back to giving from the overflow. And when you're giving from the overflow, you're giving from the happiness, you're that overflow, that abundance that you're already living in, that that uh, it's not from the outer effects. The outer effects are created through your own consciousness and the way you see it. The giving from the overflow means that 
you already have that consciousness of abundance. And it's like uh, the title of uh, a book by Marcia Senator many years ago, Do What You Love, The Money Will Come. And what she's saying is basically that if you're if you're working happy because you're happy, you know if you're coming because of joy and you're living from that space of this is who you are, then you will start attracting that which will help you. And there's so much in this book, you know, that will say, you know, that uh, uh, talks about money and uh, and materialistic. But to me, it's all part of spirit. It's only because if we focus on the materialistic to the exclusion of the spiritual, then that's what we're doing is worshiping mammon and not God, because if we're, uh, we're coming from that God space that within us, it automatically flows. And it's like uh, Kelly said before, and Steve said, Stephen said that it was, you know, the step by step and stepping out on faith. Beautiful. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, there was a lot of this, which, I mean, it was all really good. Um, I think I have, like, every page underlined. But things like, you know, we create our experience and all. I mean, we've, we've worked with that before. It's kind of an ongoing growth. Um, I think the one thing that was really kind of new, I won't say new, but, well, yeah, I'll say new. Um, new that kind of jumped out for me really was Chapter 9, Um I talked about this. I said it was the day I got hit by the sprinklers. Uh, <laughs> it was a fine experience. Um, and I just, you know, like, I think I've, you know, like I said, I've said before, you know, I've not really, I mean, there's times when I've been worried about money, but I've always, like, even when I didn't have, like, a strong flow of money, I've always been like, well, I have a bachelor's degree and I have a master's degree. And, you know, in my mind, even if it wasn't, you know, the job I wanted, I think I've always been confident I could get a job of some sort. Um, but that being said, when we read chapter nine, it kind of, it was interesting because it talked about being flippant about money. And that for me was like, I hadn't even thought of that before. And I was like, oh my God, that's so what I do. I'm just like, oh, it's money, whatever, you know, because it's not something I've really worried much about. I mean, there's times when I've felt stressed, but, you know, I've always been confident that even when I'm stressed, I could work it out. And it, for me, there was a real shift with that chapter of not necessarily being like, oh, money's so important now, money's different, but being able to, rather than just going like, oh, well, money's, money's what I, you know, money's the means that I pay my bills with, it became now much more symbolic for me of being able to be like, oh, well, money is, I don't want to say symbolic, but, you know, it's, it's just now that I look at it and I go, oh, this is, this is, you know, universe supporting me. This is universe, um, you know, a- allowing me to be creative as an extension of God. This is um, a symbol of the limitless abundance 
that is God that flows through me. And I think that for me was a big shift to not um, be as careless or as, you know, just not considering my money, but to become more conscious of it and to really move it into a much more space of being grateful, not necessarily for the money itself, but to be grateful for God and spirit continuously caring for me. And I think that was a big shift for me to not, um, to be much more conscious of of being cared for and and of being um, part of the flow. Beautiful. Stephen? Um, yeah, I think uh, I agree with a lot uh, with what Kelly was saying too. I, it, it did kind of change my um, um, perspective just on like the yeah the physical handling of of money. But like for me, the big thing was the the word only, like like being aware of how many times I say it or said it. I don't say it nearly as much as I used to, but that was like a big thing for me of like, Oh, I can't do that. I only have this much in the bank right now or, you know, whatever. And, uh, just, and instead just saying I have this much in the bank. Um, but that onlyness consciousness that he calls it, um, uh, I loved how he put it. As long as, as long as this onlyness consciousness is in any way identified with your money, you are depreciating it. Yeah. And I think I've, I've, a beautiful one. I love that one. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite lines in here. And I think it, it applies to so many other things, too, like so many other aspects in your life of like, you know, how many times have I used it in relation to my job? Oh, well, I only do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it made me much more aware of like, of not um, uh, of not declaring those limitations on that stuff because that's just you know another extension of me. Yeah. I say thank you for sharing that, Stephen, because that was I just had like a moment where I was like, oh, <laughs> it's not the only <laughs> on the money; it's the only on the. Oh, I only live in a studio apartment, and I'm only unemployed, and I'm only, you know, I'm only single, and I'm, you know, right. I'm like, oh my god, that's so like, it's not only limiting, but to me, it was like I had to thought of, like it's like denying that I'm a child of God when I start going mm-hmm. into that only. So thank you, that that was brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Any time for you, Kelly. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Anyone else? Anything else? Okay, so your homework for this week is going to be to read the last chapter. Last chapter of the book, 
very last chapter of the book, and submit a one-page write-up on it by Friday, uh, next Friday. Week and a half. So just get it to me when you can within the next week and a half. And uh, are you all, I mean, I've already received, uh, already received Kelly's book report. She's the only book report that I've gotten so far. So how's, how's that coming, guys? It's coming. Okay, good. As long as it's coming. It's coming. I started reading the book again. I mean, I've read it a good number of years ago, but you know, to reread it again is, and things jumping out at me, and I'm doing my speed reading through it because when you're speed reading, you're actually absorbing a lot more because most of it is under the awareness of consciousness, but you're still picking it all up, and that's how I learned many years ago when I took speed reading course in high school, and I was able to read the 1,000-page Gone with the Wind in, in 30 minutes and give a book report and, and ace that, you know. And uh, But I'm, that's beside the point. It's just that I'm, I'm already reading it. And, uh, uh, again, and knowing that uh, these things are jumping out at me, that, that uh, I'm picking up what... I need to pick up out of it and what it, what it, the gist of the whole book. So I'll, yeah, I'll have that ready for you in in a short time. Beautiful. And then Jesse, real quick for the last class when we're gonna have a little test, can you just go back over which books was it this quarter? Because I packed everything, I need to pull those books out because I think it's. I may not be as packed book. by then. It's only huh? this book. It was only. Oh, okay, book. you're not. You're not gonna go back to the other book. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, thank you. It'll all be on the material covered in this book. Awesome. Okay, guys. Well, well done tonight. Let's pray out. Taking a deep breath in. We uh. Let's hold hands tonight. So I'll grab Stephen's hand. I'll take Stephen's hand. I'll take Kelly's hand. I'll take Tom's hand. And I'll take Jesse's hand. Just placing a loved one in the center of the circle. Place a loved one that you're thinking of tonight. Maybe someone that could use a little extra prayer support. Just put them right there in the center of our thoughts, in the center of this circle. Surrounding them with light and love, knowing that where they are, God is. Seeing their perfection and their innocence. We give thanks to know that their innocence is our innocence, and we are just cutting the cords and removing the blocks to anything that would tell us differently. And in knowing this, we knowing their innocence, knowing our innocence. We know the innocence of all. So we send waves of this healing light essence into the collective consciousness. So grateful, so thankful for all the good we get to experience every day. Grateful for this 
teaching and these this text and all the teachings we get to enjoy. So grateful. Grateful for this group, grateful for our tribe, grateful for our the good company we keep. We share all of our gratitude with everyone, lifting the vibration of the collective up, sending this healing medicine through the interwebs to all those who suffer. We dedicate this practice so that no being need ever suffer. In grace and gratitude, we release this word and we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. 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 All right, you beautiful people. Have a beautiful night, and I look forward to hearing your voice next Saturday, if not before. And um, read that last chapter and get a write-up to me and get working on those book reports. Love you guys. (laughs) Bye, guys. Night. Bye-bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.